it's funny because anytime you look up some type of self-defense or self-protection, you know, it, you're we're bound to come up on one of your videos, man. You just blew up. So um, I know some people are aware, but for the those who those of us who don't, why don't we give uh, why don't you give them a little bit of a backstory, what you're doing and uh, how you got here? So, yeah, my, I am the founder and owner of Active Self-Protection. If you know Active Self-Protection, it's from our YouTube channel. Uh, people send me real-life surveillance videos of armed robberies, carjackings, mugging, stabbings, home invasions, some uh, dash cams, badge cams as well. And I do after-action reports on them. So uh, we walk through the incident. This is what happened. Then we walk back through the incident and do lessons learned. Um, that comes from my time in the service. I made hot water the hard way in the U.S. Navy for eight years. and um, Anytime on a nuclear reactor we had a problem, if, whether it was equipment related or it was operator error, uh, we would completely debrief that incident and write up a full after action report and send it to every other plant in the fleet. And then that way you didn't um, perpetuate problems. That way, you know, people learned and we were in constant improvement mode so that we didn't continue to have problems. So I'm just doing that now in the self-defense space. Mm-hmm. Um, the business has been around since 2011. Uh, it's, it's one of the most viewed channels on YouTube in the space, uh, in the world, in fact, which is kind of crazy. And um, I'm also a firearms instructor and a martial artist and a martial arts instructor. been studying martial arts for oh, 13 years or so and uh, firearms for uh, about the same, about 13, 14 years, give or take. And I teach people all over the country, mostly handgun uh, when I teach, but also empty-handed skills too. So that's who I am. Awesome. Awesome. And uh it's very rare that we find um, gun instructors. Actually, I wouldn't say that it's rare, but it's mostly uh, there. There are people who are kind of in the gun industry, and they they focus their focus is mainly on the use of the gun. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you feel? I mean, e- even with everything you you watch, with uh, you know, with everything you break down and analyze, like where do you feel like the the hand to hand skills play as far as uh, play a part with the with the with the uh, proficient use of firearms. Well, you know, it's funny. I was talking to uh, one of my mentors, my coach, Scott Jedlinski, about this is that I really feel like the, the folks who come from the uh, martial arts world or the empty handed skills world into firearms are usually faster studies than people who uh, start with firearms and then later pick up some kind of combatives because they want to you know, broaden their skill set. Um, I, I find it to be incredibly important. So when we talk about you know, martial arts as the art of war, uh, in a modern context in, in the U.S., right, a handgun is part of that basically almost everywhere other than if you live in New Jersey or several counties in California. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, so having those skills integrated is important. I always send folks back to the FBI, you know, the Bureau of Justice Statistics. And if you go look at the uh, uniform crime report in the uh, Bureau of Justice Statistics, you'll see that of all the assaults committed in America and reported every year, 80% of them are simple assaults. So 80% of those assaults do not involve the use of any kind of force multiplier. They don't result in hospitalizations. Nobody died. So basically, somebody slaps you, punches you, kicks you, something like that. Whereas unless you're a, you know, a vulnerable person, so if you're medically compromised or you're elderly or you're frail, if you're not one of those and you shoot somebody who punches you, you're going to prison for aggravated assault. And so right. for all those 80% of defensive encounters every year in America, uh, the gun is the wrong tool. So are empty-handed skills important? Incredibly important. 
for all of those cases, uh, as well for de-escalation, as well as you know, an understanding of, of being able to handle all the problems that might come your way, not just the ones that need a deadly uh, response. And and would you say that it's a, it's important to kind of come around, come to grasp that there is kind of a, a lot of distance between, you know, spoken words and you know, physical action. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, one of the first things I tell people all the time in the industry, they say, John, what what should I work on to get better? So the first thing you should do, go read the classic from Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Really? Because to be able to talk your way out of a problem should always be your first response, if at all possible. Uh, and if it's not, if you're not reading books like Verbal Judo, uh, like Gavin DeBecker's The Gift of Fear, even as anti-gun as he is, it's a good book. Right. Uh, you know, if you're not reading books like that about um, – you know, the art of negotiation and how to deal with people, then you're just, you're setting yourself up for fights and, and putting yourself in places where danger exists. And that's stupid. So, you know, now, of course, like uh, my friend Chuck Haggard, the legendary lawman, Marshall Chuck Haggard says, you got to have something between a harsh word and a gun. I mean, I, I work on my gun skills a lot, man. I've got, oh, at this point, I think around 650 hours as a student in firearms school. And I shoot way more than most people. And I'm really good with a pistol. I mean, not compared to some, but you know, you get my point. And uh, I still carry a can of, of OC spray with me everywhere I go because I don't want to shoot somebody if I don't have to. So I have a pretty advanced empty-handed skill set. I have a second degree black belt in uh, a derivative of Kempo known as Umas. I've recently shifted over, started studying jiu-jitsu as well. Uh, and I still carry an OC spray because I don't want to tangle up with somebody if I don't have to. Uh, and I'd much rather use my words like an adult than the OC spray if I possibly can. So I think having those those ideas and those options and, and an understanding of I can handle this problem in the most effective way possible without incurring legal or moral repercussions for me is important. And if you don't do that, well, then you're just itching for a fight. And, and unfortunately, especially online, I see folks who, you know, they're like, oh, I, you know, I'll carry a gun just so if anybody messes with me, I don't care. I'll just shoot them and deal with it later. Well, have fun in prison, man. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to the inside of a prison. I, I pastored a church for 15 years. Okay. So uh, I'm a Christian and I, I pastored a church for, for 15 years. And so I have visited prisons as, uh, you know, uh, a clergyman. And I got to tell you, I have zero interest in being incarcerated. Zero. So uh, being legal with your self-defense also very important to me. Oh yeah, I mean, even even a cursory review at a county jail is like I, I don't want to be in that place. I don't even want to be next to that place. So I, I, I see I see those people, you know, <laughs> making these, you know, the we like to call them the the I'll just shoot you guys, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. The, I see those guys and I'm like, man, this guy must have about half a million just sitting down in the bank because he's gonna get, need a good attorney. Yeah, and I talk to a lot of guys too. You know, I mean, I, I so I have friends who are attorneys, and uh, I get to sit down with, uh, you know, one of the things on my second channel, Active Sub Protection Extra, every Friday, we put up interviews with with real defensive attorneys, people who are specialized in criminal defense and specialized in self defense and specialized in firearms. And you know, hearing the uh, the amount of money that people put out of their pocket, the amount of grief from defensive use of force that they shouldn't have gotten in to begin with, is astounding. I mean, astounding. You can easy get to a hundred thousand dollars, and and I don't know about you, John, but I don't have a hundred thousand bucks in my bank account to just go. Yeah, I can blow that on criminal defense. It's good. 
No, I, no. that's just not my world. So if I, I can talk my way out and say, "Hey, man, my bad. Let me buy you a beer or whatever." You're right. I'm a jerk. I'm gonna get out of your face so then that way you can go on with your day. I'll do that just just so then that way I don't have to worry about things. Oh yeah, you know, I I I'd much rather just kind of you know drop you know diffuse the situation as opposed to you know throw gas on gas on a fire if that makes sense. Hundred percent. So. So you started this. You started active self protection, and mm-hmm. what what did you see going on? Where it was like you know you felt that this was something necessary. Like what inspired this uh, the creation of active self protection? Yeah. So uh, okay, I in two thousand six. This is kind of funny. I started back really in two thousand and four. So I got out of the navy in o two, the end of o two. And we moved to Phoenix for me to go to seminary and be a pastor, for me to go to graduate school here. Um, my wife and I homeschooled our kids at the time. They were little guys. And uh, my son now is a grown adult. He's a married man himself. But um, he was a little guy, and he was taking karate for his extracurricular activity at the community center and said to me, Papa, come and take karate with me. And I'm like, dude, I am so busy. I'm going to grad school full time. I am working full time. I am actually you know, also pastoring a little church on the side. I got too much on my plate, buddy. Well, what about when you get out of seminary, Papa? Okay, fine. When I get out of seminary, I'll come and take karate with you. So fast forward to May of 2006, and a little guy had, he was, gosh, man, 06, so he was like seven years old, and he was sick as a dog. I mean, sick, sick. He was so sick that I was holding him, and you don't hold many six-year-old boys, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm holding him because he was sick uh, at my graduation, and and he picks his head up and he says, Papa, I'm super proud of you. And I'm like, oh, buddy, that's great. Thank you. And he looks at me and says, are you coming to karate on Tuesday? Uh, and this is like a year has passed, right? So, I was like, so yeah, he's, I'm all, he's holding you accountable. <laughs> um, so I thought I'd do it for a few months and uh, and just get a you know a belt with him. And then that way he felt like I was with him. And I, 13 years later, I'm still doing it. So at the time as well, I was running a video game store. So if you you know remember in the Wayback Machine to Hollywood Video and Game Crazy, I ran uh, one of those, several of them at various times for wow. the founder of the company. And uh, right around that same time, um, the new generation of gaming consoles came out of uh, PlayStations and Xboxes, and managers in Phoenix were getting mugged, hurt, um, even some of them like you know guns pointed at them, and I was like, nah, man, that's not happening to me. So uh, at the time in Arizona, uh, we weren't constitutional carry yet, but we were shout issue. So um, I went down and uh, took my CCW class and bought a gun and a holster and ammo. Now, looking back on it, I bought the wrong gun. I put it in the wrong holster. It was loaded with the wrong ammo. What was the but first gun it you was bought? a start um, and put it on my hip as a lucky rabbit's foot. So that was a couple of years. And then after a couple of years of, of training, especially in, in martial arts, I was like, man, this gun on my hip is, um, if I can't use it effectively, is a liability. If I can't actually do anything with this gun, mm-hmm. uh, I, it's more of a liability to me than a help. So I better start training with it. And I'm sure you know this, John, and I'm sure your listeners do, that if you actually train with your firearm and shoot it a lot, uh, it gets expensive. And so... Uh, my core competency is in teaching, and I thought, man, how do I, uh, how do I get this cheaper? How do I make my training cheaper? I know. Well, I've always had an entrepreneurial streak, and my core competency is teaching. I'll start teaching classes, and then that way I can write off ammo at least and write right. off training because I got to be good myself. So that's really where active self protection came from. It was an excuse for me to write off ammo, right. and uh, so I went and got my NRA certs and uh, started teaching a class here and there. 
And, and then the business just grew from there. I started on Facebook um, just with a page because I was pastoring a church at the time, and the blue-haired ladies at church did not like me sharing gun stuff on Facebook. Uh, yeah. uh, and so I started a Facebook page for the business just to get my gun stuff off my personal Facebook so that the blue-haired ladies would stop giving me a hard time. Right. Uh, and wonderful ladies. I'm not giving them a hard time. I'm just saying, you know, they just didn't like that. It didn't fit their image of who their pastor should be. Well, a lot of that's too um, that they just there's not a lot of understanding. So, I, I, so, and we'll, we'll bring that in a little bit later as far as like what the real value of uh, ASP is. But, but keep, yeah, well, so then you know, uh, the Facebook page grew a little bit, and uh, I started helping people that were outside of Phoenix too. And I just thought, man, let me just educate people where they are. Uh, you know, I remember the first time somebody from like Ohio commented on something that I posted on on the Active Self Protection Facebook page. I was like, why would somebody from Ohio care what I say? But hey, let me help them where they're at and. Uh, so it grew, and the the video started because um, Facebook started rewarding video content because they wanted to compete with uh, YouTube and Instagram and and those things. They didn't own Instagram at the time, so um, I started posting a few videos. Somebody sent me a real life attack, um, and I posted it on the page, and I was like, "Wow, this is how a knife attack really happens." And it w- it did really well. I took that same video to my martial arts teacher and said, man, I don't understand. At, at the time, I was a green belt. And I was like, dude, I don't know if I've just missed it in the system or whatever, but I don't know how I would defend myself against this kind of actual attack. And uh, my teacher is an incredible guy and super humble. Uh, Professor Lawrence Robinson is his name at Attitude First. And, yeah. uh, and Professor Robinson said, dude, uh, man, we got to work on that, John. Let's work on it. And so... Um, we started using the videos that people would send me just to inform our training at Attitude First. Yeah. And, and I, that was incredible. And then I found out it was fun because uh, somebody sent me a video that was too long. like It had like three minutes of garbage and then uh, 30 seconds of action. And I had a, an app on my laptop that I was like, hey, I could, you know, I, I think I can edit that, but let me, you know, do a little research. And in watching a, a basic YouTube video on how to run the software, uh, I found out that I could record my voice on the video. And I was like, wow, that was like the aha moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I could do that instead of just typing things in the description. I could be like the John Madden of on-camera violence and and just narrate it. Okay, well, why don't we try that and see how it works? And that went kind of bazonkers. And we did it on Facebook for the next couple years. And then in April of 2016, YouTube said, hey, man, you can monetize your channel if you want. So I shifted over to doing that. And Gosh, man, here we are now. Later, I've got almost 1.4 million subscribers on YouTube. So we've, we've kind of shifted focus there, and that's where Ask came from and where we are. Yeah, you, you probably just uh, inadvertently created a nickname for yourself, the the John Madden of online violence. So that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's a good that's a good outlook on it. Uh, I so one of the things that we're also going to be talking about too, or, or one of the things I think you should talk about is how you've brought people who, let's say aren't your usual demographic, you know? I mean, I know you mentioned the blue, blue hair ladies and, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, I mean, just <clears throat> as many of them as there are that are against it. I think there are plenty that also are supportive of it. And a, a lot of times they don't really have representation and, and they don't have anybody to go to, to like provide them with understanding. Like, what's this all about? Like what, why does this matter? So can you, can you discuss that as far as like, what ASP is doing as far as bringing that, that that unusual demographic into this world? Well, you know, so I just try to be evidence-based as a defensive trainer. That's actually my title on the video. I call myself an evidence-based defensive trainer. Right. So one of the biggest things that I see is, is that, listen, man, 
uh, a big, beefy, burly dude who is jacked and fit and squared away and has his DT, you know, uh, solid and his, you know, is carrying his Roland special and all that stuff. Man, he is probably not going to get attacked. A mugger is going to look at that guy and go, mm, hard pass. Right. But uh, who is going to get attacked? It's the lady who has limited hip mobility. And so her motion is short. You know, her steps are short. Or, mm-hmm. you know, somebody else in a vulnerable population. And I see those happen all the time. And so I say, look, those folks need to be able to protect themselves as well. And I try not to be um, a... a, a a hardcore operator type because I'm not a hardcore operator type. Yeah. I mean, listen, when people ask me, well, you know, what are your qualifications for doing this? Were you ever in the military or law enforcement? And I was like, yeah, I was in the military for eight years. And they go, oh, okay, cool. And I go, now keep asking questions, goofball. Yeah, because right. I was in the Navy and I made, I was a nuclear reactor operator. I didn't learn how to, you know, kick doors or, you know, shoot people in the face in the, in the service. It has nothing to do with why I'm qualified to teach you. Um, and I've never been a cop and I, um, have trained police officers, but I, I, am not a cop. Don't want to be a cop, have nothing but respect for them, but I'm not that guy. I'm just your everyday dude, you know, raising my family, trying to uh, be excellent at this thing and help other people. And I think that the second amendment is, you know, the right to keep and bear arms is a, a civil right, a human right. And, uh, that applies to all people. So that doesn't apply to, uh, to, 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 I'll just make everybody mad for a second. So the, the right to keep and bear arms, which is protected by the Second Amendment, is mm-hmm. not for white people. It's not for straight people. It's not for conservative people. It's not for Republicans. It's not for uh, any one demographic group. It's for all people. All people have the right to defend themselves. It's not for Christians. A- absolutely. Uh, it's, absolutely. It's and, for everybody. And, and one of the <laughs> things that gets overlooked, too, by you know, one of the issues with the industry is also kind of the uh, uh, the the infatuation with the operator. And I think that's for for more reason than one. But yeah. I, I think um, one of the things that get lost with the the operator and the Second Amendment is that the, the Second Amendment was written by regular dudes, regular yep. people, just just regular men, regular men of principle. All right, and when when I say men, I, I mean just people, regular people of principle, who said. Everyone has a right to defend themselves, no matter who they are. So right, but. and and that's so that's important to me to reach out to those demographics that are underrepresented, you know, um, and and folks who don't generally feel welcome. Um, because now and, and listen, who am I? I am uh, a white Christian straight. Um, you know, I'm kind of that you know old fat white guy that is your typical dude who would be a part of the second amendment community, but I just value all people. And not that I don't value those guys too, but to, to bring folks in who aren't underrepresented. Um, I, I tell folks all the time, listen, I have a friend who has a concealed carry license and is a staunch gun rights supporter and is a registered Democrat and they lose their minds. You know, that's not even possible. No, no, it really is. Let me they introduce exist. you to him, Mike, and he they has the right exist. to keep and bear arms too. And <laughs> And so some of the forced teening stuff I'm not a big fan of, but reaching out to people outside of my demographic and, and saying, listen, you're a part of the community as well. So let me help you defend yourself. Uh, I, I've had people ask me, for instance, John, would you teach handgun skills to a Muslim? Uh, yeah, of course I would. Uh, you know, well, wait a minute. Muslims, some Muslims are terrorists. Yeah, that's true. Some Christians are terrorists too. So all, all good people I will teach to defend themselves because all people have the right to protect themselves from criminal violence. Right. Um, and and good, I just think good that's people a really don't generally seek out a uh, professional training either. They usually, 
or doing some right. type of OJT on the corner, you know? Yeah. Right, right. You know, just like I'm not going to teach a gang member yeah. uh, how to do, you know, hood rat stuff. I'm yeah. not going to, you know, <laughs> but I'm going to teach anybody. And I have done this, man. People from, uh, you know, really socially and, and uh, economically disadvantaged status. And they go, John, I, I want to learn, but I don't, you know, I can't afford it. And I go, talk to me about that, dude. I work in, in fast food. I'm working 55 hours a week. I, I literally can barely get by. I don't have any, any extras or anything like that. Great. Come to class. You're on me. I'm totally down. Bring your, your high point C9. I have ammo for you and, you know, bring what you got. Do you need me to get you a holster for it? And I will help you because you need, you need that help. So I think doing that is, is important. And, and that's part of my mission. Yeah. And, and to be fair too, I mean, there's, there's a lot of that in the, in the industry in general. Like I, I haven't really come across, there's almost no instructor that I wouldn't recommend. Uh, there's no, almost no instructor that I've seen that is, is, is truly polarizing. Almost every instructor I've come across is, has that same view, totally inclusive. I, if you're a good person, I will help you and I will train you and I will do everything I can to make you feel better today than yesterday. So, uh, let's now, I'm really glad that's your experience. I've had a few that haven't and that frustrates me and I'm glad that you haven't and I hope we see more of your side than mine. Yeah, I mean, I, we have to also focus on what's, what's the next generation going to be in. I mean, we, we have to think about, you know, it, it's going to be more than just kind of the same dudes and, and, and kind of the, let's say, the, 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 the mainstream guys out there as far as, uh, you know, defense industry goes. Um, those guys, I mean, they're getting older, right? And, and they're looking for, like, who, they, who, they, who do they pass the torch to? So I'm not saying that, you know, necessarily, you know, you or I are those people, but we have to think about getting more fresh blood into this place if we wanted to keep going, you know? And I think we are. I think that you see some of the, the up-and-comers are, uh, are folks of a much more diverse background, which is awesome. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. And, and let me just say as well, the, you know, the meat-eating, you know, uh, uh, operator types, I don't have a problem with them. Absolutely. There are some guys Absolutely. some real been there, done that, um, who, who guys who have put in the work and really have, kick doors in butt crackistan and really have you know lived in the special operations community and and those folks have a, a knowledge and a skill set from experience that i really admire um and so i don't have a problem with them either especially the ones who can recontextualize into my setting as a civilian so that's really what it is for me yeah absolutely um so let, let's uh let's move on a little bit and we want to kind of get into what drives you let, let's, let's, uh, you know, you have, you have this mission that you're working on mm-hmm. and, you, and you've decided to take this mission on. What drives you to make sure that you're doing the best to accomplish that mission? Well, I mean, my entire life, I exist for a sole purpose and that sole purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ and hear well done, good and faithful servant from him at the end of my life. Okay. So I'm not necessarily proselytizing here today. Uh, but when you ask, why do I do what I do? That's why I do everything. So that's what my life is centered on. Um, I'm not telling you what you have to do, telling you what I do. Um, within that, uh, I say, listen, I recognize that I'm answerable to him for everything that I do. I'm answerable to him for the way I live my life every day. And I believe that that intentionality says I am called to be excellent in that. One of my kind of guiding verses is in Colossians chapter 3 where Paul says, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Uh, you know, in anything that you do, you make sure that you understand that um, the Lord is interested in your excellence at it. And so I just try to be excellent for that reason. And I think the second part of that for me is 
at my core, I'm a teacher and I want to help other people. That's what I do. I am a teacher. And, and in order to teach people, I recognize I'm accountable for what I teach. I'm accountable for the knowledge that I transfer to others, right. that it be good. Because if it's wrong, if I'm not right, then people's lives are at stake and the, the risk is inestimable because every human being is endowed with inestimable value and worth and dignity from their creator. If I give them bad information and they use that bad information and they are hurt or killed because of the information I gave them, I am responsible for that loss. Absolutely. And so I seek to be excellent. So that's what drives me to make sure that the information I give is good. That's what drives me to be as good as I can be. Uh, you know, I recognize that, listen, if I'm going to tell people they need to have high-level hand, high handgun skills, well, what does that mean? I better have high-level handgun skills. If I tell people that their empty-handed skill set is crucial to their survival, I, I, that's hypocritical if I don't have that level of skill set. You know, that, that old thing, you never trust a skinny cook, right? Right, uh, right, right. You got to ask, <laughs> wait a minute, is the dude eating what he's cooking? Is he, uh, to use a earthier analogy, is he smoking what he's selling? Yep. Uh, and so that's what drives me every day to try to be good. It's what drove me the last year to finally, you know, get tired of being fat and lose about 60 pounds. It's, it's what drives me to get my butt on the mat uh, and train. It's what drives me to get out to the range. It's what drives me to go to class um, to, to be what I talk about. So, you know, take, being, being that, that man of action. So what, what is your... What is your general schedule like as far as kind of fitting all this in? Because, you know, generally you'll you'll hear kind of the same things going on. Like, you know, oh, I'm just too busy. I don't have the time. Like, how, how does a guy, I mean, you're putting out content, multiple videos every single day. So mm -hmm. how does a guy who's doing that also have time to fit all that into his schedule? Well, and, and some people might say, well, geez, this is your job. And that's true, but I did it for... Uh, about uh, this whole schedule that I'm about to kind of lay out, I did for about five years while holding down a full-time job, partially while holding down a full-time job and a part-time job. So my, my joke, any entrepreneur friends out there will absolutely get this. I say, look, I work for myself. I'm an entrepreneur. So as an entrepreneur, you only have to work half days. Uh, now you get to pick if you want to work the first 12 hours of the day or the second 12 hours of the day. That's your call. Uh, and right. I, I, I probably work 55 hours a week at my full-time job, which is making video content, um, and taking classes and, uh, teaching classes. That is my full-time gig. Um, so my typical day, I, I tend to get up with the sun. Um, I try to get to bed around uh, 10 PM or so right now. The sun's coming up right around six. Um, I, I recently read a book about peak performance and how important eight hours of sleep is to peak performance. So I'm trying to get eight hours of sleep every night. It's hard, uh, man. But, it's hard. But I get up at six and um, make myself a little bit of coffee. And I, I take the first half hour of my day with the Lord. So I spend a little time in prayer, spend a little time in Bible reading, reflection, worship time, whatever. Then I get to work and I start working. Um, I, now, I have employees, so I have um, four employees, one full-time employee, three part-time employees, all incredible people, all uh, integral to the function of active self-protection. So I don't do it all on my own, uh, but I have to review video. I have to moderate some comments. I have to see how things are performing, uh, look and see what videos are coming, uh, get into my, my software, whether I am recording uh, video intros or uh, doing voiceover work on my computer or whatever. And that starts about 6.30 in the morning. Um, and, and the cool part of my job is, is that, you know, because I work for myself, I know the tasks that I have to perform, but I don't necessarily have to perform them at any given time. 
So a day might be like today, you know, where at some point in the morning uh, I say, oh, okay, wait a minute. I have a podcast to appear on today. Okay, I'm going to do that. Uh, but it might be, hey, I'm going to do some reading. I might read um, some on, uh, could be anything from self-improvement to business to, to life. I like to listen to audiobooks. Uh, every single morning I try to get out for a workout, uh, some kind of workout, whether it's a walk with some push-ups in it or whatever, listen to some podcasts or, or audio while I'm doing that to get better. Come home, do my dry fire. I do dry fire every single day. Um, I think that dry fire is the key. I'm really improving my handgun skills this last year, and dry fire is the key to that. 15 how long, minutes how long do you every spend single day. Fire? I think you spend 15 minutes a day staring off into space. So, so having that 15 minutes is important. Um, I tend to, to try to have uh, meaningful meals. So if somebody says, hey, man, I need some time or I want to talk, great. Let's sit down over a meal and talk because I got to eat. You got to eat. You know, let's, let's do that. So I have business meetings there. Might take some phone calls, um, and then a couple evenings a, a, a week. It's, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, so Wednesday night is the night that um, my uh, jiu-jitsu teacher teaches. And so tonight, 6:30, I'll be on the mat until 8:30. Uh, come home and eat dinner. Spend you know an hour and a half or so with my wife and my kids, and then hit the sack and do it all again tomorrow. Um, yeah. And then of course, there's lots of special things in there. I, I tell folks I, I train in firearms classes. Uh, like an idiot. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I would never suggest somebody who's not doing it full time would try to keep the schedule that I keep. But even once a year to say, hey, I'm going to take a Saturday, Sunday class um, and, and get out there and train in something new. Awesome. To get out to the range. Uh, I try to get out to the range every week, um, even for an hour. I load magazines before I go so that I don't have to spend time doing that at the range. I make myself a little plan. This is the things I'm going to practice. These are the things that I'm going to do just on a piece of paper. Here's the drills I want to work through. I'd make sure I've got my targets and stuff set up. Then I get out to the range. I get those suckers set and I work for an hour to two hours. I just work uh, and do that once a week. And uh, I think that's a lot for most people. But if I could get more people to go to the range once a month, I would be super happy with that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, all that comes with then, you know, like, for instance, uh, a couple weeks here, I'll be at um, – uh, an expo, the USCCA expo in a couple of weeks teaching. So then I've got to, you know, put together my presentation, make sure that it's current and right and, and look through all that stuff. I spend my day doing research as well, uh, seeing what else is out there, reading, watching, investigating, practicing, talking to my mentors and, and uh, those who are, are important and doing the good things in the industry. So that's what my day looks like. I, I try to, in all of that, um, take little breaks as I can, but pretty much my day goes from about six o'clock in the morning until about eight o'clock at night. And then it's kind of chill time from there. So the next thing I want to talk to you about is, is kind of a spiritual fitness and, and, okay. and you know, and not, not to try to alienate some of those, uh, secular folks out there who might be listening, but just being, let's say just having a purpose behind your being behind your action behind your writing and, and all the things that you do, how, how would you rate the importance of having um, spiritual fitness as far as trying to be that person that my family needs or, or their family needs or their team needs and, 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 and so on it goes. Well, to me, that's everything. I mean, obviously what I said earlier, my whole life is built around spiritual fitness. Um, that said, I grew up an atheist. I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in a, 
uh, a religious family at all. Um, I became a Christian at 22. So, uh, you know, after, and I left the house at 19, I, I joined the Navy at 19 and got out of home. Um, so uh, it, it, to me, is, uh, is everything to go, okay, wait a minute. You know, I'm, I don't live for myself, um, and I am not answerable to myself. Uh, I have authority over me. So, uh, for instance, I just uh, had lunch yesterday with a friend who um, is, I think, five years sober. And, um, you know, AA is probably the most successful organization to help people get away from alcoholism. And there are subgroups, you know, uh, SA and, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Substance Abuse Anonymous, you know, those things. So, drug, NA, that's where it is. Uh, Narcotics Anonymous. So all of those, the first thing they want to talk about is, you know, that you have to have a higher power, <laughs> that you, you have to have something bigger than you that you are living for. And, and I think that's borne out in an awful lot of research as well. I'm not saying you can't be a good person and not be a person of faith. Yeah. Uh, I know plenty of good people who aren't, aren't people of faith, and I know plenty of people of faith who aren't very good people. Yeah. Uh, but for me, um, it's an organizing principle of my life that says I want to be like Jesus. And uh, Jesus is the ultimate example of what what I would call the best that a man could possibly be. And so to be that in that spiritual fitness, then when I talk about it on video, if the, if the victim in one of my videos dies, um, if they don't make it, then that's when I talk about spiritual fitness. And I say, look, yeah. at that moment, they didn't have any more opportunity to make things right. And so before that, that's a good reminder for all of us to make sure we've said everything we need to say to our families that... Uh, we've invested in our kids, that we, that those who uh, love us uh, and those whom we love know that we love them and that we've solved conflicts and that we've done our best to live at peace with people. And then that our relationship with the Lord is strong because uh, we may not have time to, to build it uh, before we need it. And as a pastor, I saw an awful lot of people on their deathbed who were rattled to the core because they didn't know what was coming and they, they were scared of the end. And, you know, I, I say, listen, one of the best things that life can bring is that if I know what's going and I know what's coming, then I can live at peace uh, knowing that uh, – I said this to my wife the other day. I said, look, if somebody kills me, if I get in a gunfight and I lose, first of all, I want that whoever gets me to go, gosh, that guy was hard to kill. Yeah. But secondly, uh, it's the best day of my life, and it's probably my wife's worst day, but it's my best day, and – uh, I don't want that day to come because I don't want to inflict a bad day on my wife for the sake of my good day. But uh, when you have spiritual fitness, I think it gives you that freedom to do some things. I think it also gives you freedom to not uh, be so invested in the way that others treat you because uh, I'm not seeking the approval of anybody here on earth. I'm seeking the approval of the one true king. And as long as he's happy with me, if you're not happy with me and he's happy with me, I'm fine. So I can serve people without worry about um, social approval and those kind of things, as long as I'm sure um, that, that I, you know, me and the Lord are okay. So that's where spiritual fitness comes in for me, because it orients my day, it orients my week, it orients my life, and gives me peace in order to serve others. You know, it's what you're talking about, I mean, powerful, powerful stuff. I mean, you're thinking about, okay, I carry a gun for the sake of if I get a gunfight. And a lot of people don't ever think about, like, what happens when I lose or if I lose, and, you know, am I ready or what are what exactly are the stakes? And, you know, I, I come to think about you, you reminded me of Victor Frankl's book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. And he yep. he explicitly says there like some people die just because they just 
didn't have a reason to live anymore. And, you know, I, I think about my wife and my kids and what matters to me most. And, you know, you think about the stakes and, and that that's really what it's about. It's not necessarily the the averages. And I'm sure you agree, even even as someone who, oh, yeah. who, who collects, a, you know, analyzes data or whatnot. I mean, it's not necessarily about the averages. It's 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 about what's at stake if I don't do this. Yeah. And averages aren't, you know, so an average can be helpful when we're looking at how to train. Right. But no gunfight is average. OK, so in that moment, when you get chosen, the all the odds have you've lost all of them because your chances, your actual chances of getting in a gunfight, as long as you're not doing hood rat stuff, are pretty small. Right. Uh, but if you get it, if you get chosen on that day, well, guess what? You've already lost the odds game. So stop talking about averages anymore because you've already lost that. And and the fact of the matter is I've seen very good people lose gunfights. I've seen very good people killed, uh, people who had a high level of skill because the other guy gets a vote. And uh, there's there's not that's not to say as long as I'm great, then I can't lose because we all can. Um, and and planning on I don't plan to lose. I'm, I train so that I, I don't so that my chances are minimal. But understand that even on that, I have to plan for what happens if I don't make it. Uh, it's one of the reasons I pay my life insurance premiums. Uh, you know, I say, look, if I lose, my wife needs to be taken care of. My kids need to be taken care of. Uh, and so I pay my life insurance premium. Right. Um, and one of the things that, that also we have to remember about, you know, the, the, the opposition or the bad guys is that they are very good at getting the job done. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the, the first timers, the rookies, uh, there are crappy bad guys out there. And, and I hope if anybody gets into a gunfight, you know, of course, it is a competition. So I hope if some kid, you know, some idiot decides to try to hurt me that he's one of those and it's an easy day for me. But there's an awful lot who are awful good. And those are the ones who are careerists. And those career criminals do exist. And those are the ones who, if you're not on top of your game, will overwhelm you and and you will lose. And that possibility always exists. And so I'm always training not for the easy day. I'm training for the worst day. I'm training for the short straw that I drew was the guy who just got out of prison for doing 10 years for aggravated assault, and he's angry about it. Um, and he decides he's going to you know, knock this place over, and I'm in his way. And so that's the guy I'm going to have to fight. Okay, well, that's a tough, tough road to hoe, but I'm going to fight that fight. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and in that moment, too, I mean, what, what really matters is the seconds and the inches. It, it's uh, right. It's it's beyond just what what tool I have or what I'm doing. Like this, the seconds and the inches. That's what's that's what's going to make or break this situation. Yeah, yeah and we we talk um, so so active self protection ASP. We we generally call the business ASP, and um, we use it as our the ASP acronym is our training philosophy as well, and it stands for attitude, skills, and plan. So we say attitude is more important than anything else. The foundation of your self defense is your attitude, and and the attitude that I've adopted was taught to me not only by Professor Lawrence Robinson, but by Senior Grandmaster Skip Hancock, is no one has the right to harm me. And I have the right to stop anybody from hurting me. And so we come first from that attitude. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your skill set is. You don't have the right to harm me. I have the right to stop you, and I will. Uh, and then from there, I build a skill set uh, that, that allows me to enforce that boundary. And then I have a plan. I have a plan for here's how, when I go, here's what I do, here's how I live. Um, to, to be able to defend myself. But, but attitude is foundational. And if you don't have the attitude that says, uh, yes, I'm going to avoid every fight that I can, but I will come out of this victorious. I will survive this. 
then you're probably not going to. Absolutely. I uh, see a lot of people that they get somebody, you know, they get started in a gunfight uh, or even in, uh, you know, a, another fight and they get hit and they give up. They go, oh, nope, I lost. He wins. And they lay down and die. And they, you know, but I've seen others too that have been badly wounded and yet they stayed in the fight and they said, no, I am not losing to this guy. Just because I'm shot doesn't mean I'm dead. I'm still awake. Rock and roll time. And they get after bad guys and prevail even badly wounded because they weren't willing to quit. And that's important. Yeah, it's funny. I just uh, read a story the other day about a SWAT officer who carries about a 145 rounds on him because he got into a gunfight close range and, you know, Hit this dude. Hit that dude about, with the kitchen sink. Yeah, everything he had on him in the places that were supposed to drop him, and the dude just kept coming. And, yep. you know, unless you're doing some type of contact training, like, you know, what, what you mentioned, martial arts and jiu-jitsu, along with the range work, then it's like it's hard to comprehend that the human body is extremely resilient. Yeah, it really is. And and <laughs> you, you, I am continually surprised. I had one on the channel not long ago sent to me by the guy that was in the video, in fact where uh, he was carrying a 1911 and 40 by God five and uh, drew a gun on a guy who was beating the crap out of his girlfriend in a convenience store. Uh, they, they danced a little while because guy charged him. So he, had, he was looking down the barrel of a 45 guy looked at him and said, nah, I don't care and ran at him and swung a punch at him. So they, they tangled up a little bit. Good guy got some distance, took one shot at him and it hit him just below the, uh, the diaphragm. So it hit him in his abdominal cavity. Mm -hmm. The guy barely flinched. Just and he was, I mean, loaded with with quality jacketed hollow points too. Yeah. Guy barely flinched, kept coming at him. Hit him a second time, finally, uh, really cracked his sternum. Hit him high center chest, and that put the guy down because he was in pain. Yeah. But he lived through that. So took the cops five minutes to get there. So the guy shot twice, once in the guts, once in the chest, in a high center chest hit. Five minutes of bleeding, and the guy lived. Insane, insane. You could even find some of the videos from, you know, on YouTube from the war where you'll see, you know, terrorists getting shot at with, with 40 millimeter grenade rounds and they're getting blown up four or five times and still running. So, yeah, I, uh, I saw um, the MRI scans from an emergency room. I don't have all the details, uh, but of a guy who came into an emergency room this past week in the U.S. had been shot in the head. Bullet penetrated his skull. Um, quality jacketed hollow point. Uh, put it right in the right where we say to right basically went right through his nasal cavity uh, transversed his head was was sitting in his the back of his head in the scalp and he walked into the emergency room talking to them and <laughs> with no uh, discernible negative cognitive effects having had a bullet pass completely through his brain wow uh, so you go man how much more can i do to put one in his brain and it didn't do what i needed it to do i mean i guess it took him out of the fight so okay it worked right yep. but the human body is a remarkably resilient thing yep just one of the many things that you know you you'll see that uh media gets wrong as far as like where to you know stop a threat as far as like targets go but john i think uh we're we've got we're pretty much uh reaching our time um you have uh any any plugs uh where, where where can we find more about you where can we learn more about asp and uh come and train with you yeah so uh, obviously our website activeselfprotection.com is there i don't do a ton on the website uh, if you want to find out more about training opportunities with ASP, uh, I put up our, our training calendar on our Facebook page. So if you go on Facebook and your app and just search for active self-protection, or if you're on Facebook, 
uh, desktop, facebook.com slash active self-protection. Go to the events tab. You'll find all of our upcoming events there, including our national conference in September in Kansas. Um, if you, uh, if you want to watch the daily narrated videos, again, go to YouTube, search active self-protection. There's actually two channels there. Uh, active self-protection has got a black, um, uh, channel logo on it. And that's the main channel every single day of the year, uh, new real life surveillance video or badge cam or dash cam, uh, of, uh, a defensive encounter somebody got in with lessons to be learned in it. And then there's a second channel active self-protection extra. We post Monday through Friday there, uh, of, uh, you know, me living the, the life. And so every Monday I teach handgun skills, uh, live fire and dry fire. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday could be me at a class, could be uh, me teaching a class, taking a class, could be gear reviews, those kind of things. Every Friday is, uh, we call it John's Briefs. We talk to an attorney about the legal aspects of uh, the use of deadly force in self-defense. And um, so that's, we call it active self-protection extra. And that's probably the best places to find me. If you want to, you know, see me be a little goofy, you can find me on Instagram at active self-protection as well. Me just kind of living the life and having some fun and, and hurting people's feelings occasionally with truth on the internet. Yeah. Well, one thing we say at uh, spotter up is that the truth will always terrify timid men. So <laughs> <laughs> I made everybody mad because I, I made fun of a, a tourniquet that some people really like. You know, that was that was the latest Instagram kerfuffle. Yeah, I mean, people get really, really uh, sensitive about their gear when it's more about the skill, but. Right? And it's the truth, man. Yeah, man. So, John, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Guys, if you want to find John, go to ActiveSelfProtection.com and let him know Spotter Up sent you. If you guys have any ah. questions, comments, concerns, uh, put, them up, put them up. Let them, let us know. If you want to ask John some questions, make sure you visit his Facebook page, his Instagram. Go find him. Get training. Learn what he's doing, guys. He's doing some really, really good stuff, putting out some really good information, things you need to know to be the defender of your house. John, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Awesome, man, John. Yeah, I'm really grateful that you had me on, man, and I and, uh, really appreciate the time.